0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Let's try that again. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There we go. Much gooder. All right. All right, we are continuing our study through Mark, so if you want to go to Mark chapter 4, verse 1, that's where we're going to be going here in just a minute. We're going to be talking about parables this morning, Jesus' use of parables as a way of teaching, kind of, maybe, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Parables continue. People continue to write parables uh, today. I was listening to a class online, and this guy told this parable about two monks it's not a joke. It's not set up for a joke. Don't worry. Two monks, and they were in a monastery, and they'd taken a vow of, of chastity, obviously. They wouldn't even look upon uh, a woman, and, and they lived with their brothers, and, and, but they needed food. So they took some stuff that they had made, put it in two buckets, and they sent two monks to go sell the stuff, bring back the money so they could buy food. And so the monks get to a crossroads, and one of the monks says, "I'll tell you what, I'll go to this town over here. You go to that town over there, sell everything in your bucket, and then we'll come back and we'll meet here as soon as the sun goes down, then we'll head back to the monastery." So they agree, they split up. Night falls. One monk is sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, the other monk shows up. A bucket empty, no money. He says, "What happened?" The other monk says, "Well, I have to confess something to you. He said, I went into town, and I sold everything, and I had the money, but there was a woman there. You can guess how the rest of it goes. And he said, I've broken my vow, and the monk looks at him and says, well, here's what we'll do. I sold everything. I've got this money. I'll take half my money, give it to you. We'll go back, and we'll tell them that we both broke. Our vow together. Now, the guy telling that parable, his point, what he what he said when he was trying to get across was we're all in this together. One person screws up, it affects all of us. It doesn't do any good to point blame. And so we just need to kind of march arm in arm and, and take care of one another. That was his point. The problem is that when you look at parables, the way that Jesus used them, the way that the prophets used them, because Jesus was not the only person to use parables in the Bible, the way they do it is this. The whole point of a parable is to say, okay, who am I in this parable? That's the point. So, if it was Jesus telling this parable of two monks, it would be, which monk are you? Are you the one that the moment everybody's got their back turned, you run off and go wild? Are you the monk that says, hey, it's all right, it's all forgiven, we're in this together, I'm I'm there with you, which monk are you. That's the way biblical parables work. The prophet tells it. Jesus tells it. And the Bible says those with ears to hear will understand who they are within that story. So, let's take a look. Jesus teaching in parables. Now, remember, Jesus didn't always teach in parables, and his disciples are in a question about that. Mark 4.1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat at it on the lake while all the other people were along the shore at the water's edge. Now, this is the reason why he is preaching from a boat on a lake is no home will hold the crowd anymore. The crowds are too Big. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, right? They're even digging holes in the roof to get to him. And so he's out there, and this is not a dinky little like canoe or paddle boat or something. This is a big fishing boat that he's on. And his 12 disciples are probably with him. And the huge crowd is there. But we've already seen why the crowd's there. The crowds are not there because they think Jesus is the Messiah. The crowds are not there because they want to hear what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God. The crowds are there because they want to see miracles, they want healing. Or they're looking for gossip. That's why the crowds are there. Verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen. And the Greek akouo there means everybody hush, listen closely. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. That's where you'd walk, not where you'd want to grow anything. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much Soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 Times all the people listening to this either had a farm or a vegetable garden or something because that's how you survived. And so they understand what's going on here. And they understand that no crop anywhere gives you 30, 60, 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him, so it's not just the disciples, asked him about the parables and this is the way this is going to work. Some, one of the things, if you notice, if you're reading carefully in the Bible, Jesus sometimes will say things people don't understand, but all you have to do is walk up and go, what do you mean? And he explains it. He's happy to explain it. The problem is very few come up and ask because they don't care. It's still that way today, by the way. If you seek, you will find, but if you don't seek, So he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, now notice this, this is where you're going to be a little upset. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, you're sitting there going, well, what's the problem? Isn't like forgiveness Jesus' thing? Doesn't he want forgiveness? people to be forgiven here's the thing what jesus is doing there is he's quoting from isaiah isaiah 6 9 through 10 and in one hebrew scholar has rendered the passage this way he said so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may hear but not understand because the last thing they want is to turn and have their sins forgiven in other words They don't think they need forgiveness. They think they're just fine. God wants all people to be saved, but He doesn't force Himself on you. He doesn't force His grace on you. He expects you to seek Him. And if you don't, and I know a lot of you are not going to like this, but this is, this is just the way it is in Scripture. This is what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. If you don't care for the ways of God, if you don't want to have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if that's not what you want, you will get to a point, you will dig yourself a hole to where God says, okay, we're done. You don't want it? I'm not going to push it? so be it. We're finished. And if you don't believe me, you go to the prophets and you'll see it. That's what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying what Jesus is quoting. Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel. The Jews and the Jews have turned their back on the ways of God. They're not doing their job. They're not reaching out. They're not being merciful. They're not caring for the widows and the orphans and all that kind of stuff. They're being unjust. And so he tells, God tells Isaiah, tell them, you go ahead and talk to them. They're not going to listen to you. And I don't want them to listen to you because the time of judgment has come. My mercy's at an end. And that does happen. If you look, if you remember, when we preached through, Dad and I preached through the book of Revelation, the first three chapters there, there, there are letters to seven churches in Asia. And what does Jesus tell some of those churches? Get your act together or I'm yanking my presence from your church. Jesus actually says, you can have a church, I won't show up to it. If you're not faithful to me, I don't care whether you call it church or not, I don't care what you sing, I don't care what the attendance is, I don't care how much money you got, I don't care. If you're not faithful to me, I'm not showing up, I'm having nothing to do with it. There are a lot of terrible things in our world to be sure But according to the Bible, do you know what the scariest thing that can happen to you is? For God to say, I will speak to you no more. The scariest thing that can happen to you is for God to say, We're done. Have it your way. Which means you have to constantly check your heart. And as we're going to see in a minute, you have to constantly ask yourself in these parables, parables were delivered for judgment. Parables were spoken so that people who didn't care just sounded like a nice little story, and they walked off. Only the people who really wanted to grow closer to God and understand the ways of God and understand who they would come forward and go, but what does that mean? Tell me. Please explain it to me. And what you gotta ask yourself so that you don't put yourself in that position is in this parable of the soils. Who are you? Which one are you? I'll we'll come back, and talk about that in a second. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. And some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. There's Jesus' explanation. He's saying soil is people. The seed is the word of God. He's saying, which one are you? Understand something that if you're like, yeah, okay, I'm like the third soil, but that's just enough to get to heaven, right? The problem with that is if you're a farmer, which soil here is of any use to you whatsoever? Only the fourth. All the rest of it's useless. It's worthless. Now, He's going to go on, keep explaining this. The next two parables, the next two stories are building on this and building on the ending of that, of of the good soil, where it produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. Verse 21, he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. What he's saying is that this good soil, once it's 30, 60, 100-fold, will take the message of Jesus Christ and shine it like a lamp everywhere they go. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, yeah, it's hidden, but it's meant to be discovered, he's saying. He's saying, just because I'm speaking in parables, because I want, God wants to bring judgment on the people of God because they're not listening. They're not looking for the Messiah. They're not accepting the Messiah's mission. So I'm going to speak in parables. But even though the message is hidden, like a hidden treasure, it's still meant to be discovered by those who want to seek it. You see, the people of God at this time, just like the people of God in Isaiah's time, decided that it's all about me. It's all about us. God owes us. We want this from God. Thank goodness the church doesn't have that problem anymore, right? Verse 24 Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken. From them. He's talking about judgment again. He's saying, Those who are seeking, those who are looking, those who are listening to me, those who have the ears to hear because their heart is right, I will continue to give them. I will continue to give them my spirit, my word, all that kind of stuff. But those who just don't want it, I will take it from them. They have rejected me, and so I'm going to take what they have from them. You have to watch your heart constantly. Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. What's he saying? He's saying the seed goes out, that's the word of God. It goes out, it takes root, it grows, but you don't even know how or why. In other words, this is one, ultimately, the work of God. Without the Spirit coming into your life, there will be no change. But once the Spirit gets there mysteriously, there will be, over time, change. And this is the work of God. And he's now moved on, say, from the lamp to the spring, saying, okay, you were this seed, you were this soil, you became this thing, now you're shining your light, but then you all want to spread the message. How do you know if you're the good soil? One of the ways you know is you want to share the message of Jesus Christ with other people. You have a desire to do it. But what it's also saying here is, you can get discouraged because you can share the gospel, share the gospel. i got a buddy who invites everyone to church. And I mean almost upon meeting them. He like introduces himself, and the next thing I was, do you have a home church? And, but he gets a little discouraged because so many people said, yeah, I'll be there. They don't show up. I say, no, nah, I don't need any of that. He gets discouraged. And what I tried to tell him was, look, you need to understand something. The Bible's very clear, and I'm going to show you a video here in a minute that shows that you never know what kind of impact you're actually having. And you won't know it until you go to be with the Lord. You just don't know. The ways of the Lord are mysterious. You just don't know. Keep that in mind. But if you're the good soil, you're going to want to share the message. Verse 30. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Now, critics of the Bible say that's not true. The problem is, Greek scholars have pointed out, the word he uses there uh, for seed means uh, seed for a crop in that area. It was the smallest seed they used there. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. He sang this. The message of God gets into the right heart. That person shines the light of Jesus Christ everywhere. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he does it. He's not he or she's not in control of that. It's a mystery. But eventually, because of God, it's going to grow into this amazing thing we call the kingdom of God. That's what He's saying. That's how that all flows together. They're not just individual little sayings. It's all connected. Do you see that? The reason Jesus shifts from teaching plainly, as he did, directly, to speaking in parables. Like I said, it's a time of judgment. The people of God have become selfish. And because they refuse to listen to him, he said, I've given you enough time. He's walked around for months speaking plainly, and they don't listen. So he said, okay, fine. You don't want to hear. I will speak in parables now so that only those who truly are looking for me will understand. Now, this shouldn't surprise you. Parables are used for judgment all through the Old Testament. You just may not have recognized them as parables. But I'll throw you one that you probably do know. Either you've read in your Bible or watched on VeggieTales or whatever. You remember that King David got himself into some trouble. So a prophet by the name of Nathan came to him and said, There's a guy who owns all these sheep. And then there's this poor man who only owns one. And the rich man came and took the poor man's sheep. And David, not catching on, goes, "Ah, well, that man should die. And Nathan goes, guess who? I'm talking about you. That's a parable used for judgment. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. You see it also in Ezekiel and, and other times. It's just there. And the judgment on the people of God, on Israel, on the Jews would come. And it would come in a bad way. They really wanted more than anything else. Instead of salvation for themselves and for others. Instead of worshiping the one true God, all they really wanted was political independence. And then also to be able to flaunt their status as the people of God over others. One Jewish rabbi wrote at this time. He said, God will return We'll restore the kingdom of Solomon, and we will rule over the non-Jews like Adam ruled over the animals. That was their attitude. And Jesus said, now, that's not why I put you here. Just because you want it doesn't mean God wants it. And so, he begins to speak in parables because judgment is coming. And judgment came in 70 A.D., when the roman empire marched on to jerusalem and totally wiped out the city one jewish writer josephus says that the slaughter in jerusalem when the roman legions moved in was so bad that you could walk you couldn't walk anywhere in the city of israel without being ankle deep in blood they completely destroyed the temple judgment came Judgment's coming again one day. I just don't know when. But one thing we are committed here, Dad and I are committed to, Ralph, Andrew, so forth, is that. Making sure you have eyes to see and ears to hear so that on judgment day you find yourself on the right side of Jesus Christ. This parable is all about all these parables, these stories all hang together. It's about salvation, it's about evangelism, and it's about the kingdom of God. And basically what it says, and maybe you've wondered this sometime. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and one of the things you wonder is, I don't understand why people don't want to be Christians. Why would people reject the free grace of Jesus Christ? Why would that happen? And the parable tells you, it, says, it depends on the heart of a person. And you've got to ask, where's your heart at? Of those four different examples in that parable, which one are you? Uh, Tim Keller's a retired pastor in New York City. Uh, He's somebody I really admire, uh, earned doctorate, great guy. And when he preached on this, he said, Here's the test. If you want to know what kind of soil you are in this, where your heart's at, he said, Here's the test. The first soil, if you remember the first soil, that's the path where the seed goes and the birds just come and they take it away. According to Dr. Keller, it said that is a person with a hard heart who has never experienced conversion. Now, let me make sure you're clear on this. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you have a faith that you inherited. Your mom is Christian, your dad is Christian, whatever, so you've always been a Christian. That's just who you are. Have you ever been converted? Have you ever had a true heart change? Has your heart ever been broken by the fact that you're a sinner and there's a holy God that you've offended? Have you ever been converted? Have you ever made it yours? Because if not, you're in that number one category hard heart. Second one, if you remember that, that's the shallow soil. Seed goes, sprouts up real quick, sun comes out, scorches, bye-bye, gone. What kind of person is that? That's a person with a shallow heart, a shallow faith. And how do you know if you have a shallow faith? It's primarily a shallow faith is one that is purely emotional. Your faith your level of faith is determined by your mood. You and Jesus are really good if you're doing really good. But when things are bad, suddenly you could care less. The way Dr. Keller put it is this way. He said, people who have this kind of faith... They haven't worked it through. They don't know the gospel well. They don't have both a, a, a faith that has, has really gone deep in both their mind and their heart. These kind of people, what happens is the sun of life, the sun of time, pops up and scorches things away. Looks, money, relationships material goods, these things disappear and then all of a sudden your relationship with God disappears because as Dr. Keller says it, when that sun rises and it heats that stuff up and it's gone, you realize you were worshiping that stuff, not God. The things that were scorched is what you were worshiping. You were defining yourself and worshiping your success, your status, your looks, all of those things. You took those and you placed that above your devotion to God. I'm not saying that. You going to the gym and shedding some pounds is a, good, is a bad thing. It's not. God bless you. I've lost 10 pounds since the first of January. I got, oh, thank you. <laughs> I want that wasn't an applause line, but okay, I'll take it. Thank you. My wife's lost 10. I've lost 10. We got more to go. and We'll get there. But that's a good thing. Uh, Financial success is a good thing. The question I'm asking is, have you made it the ultimate thing? Have you placed it above God? If you do, then you're in this second category (coughs) of having a shallow heart. The third soil, the third heart, is a divided heart. A divided heart means you have split loyalties, It's kind of (coughs) 50-50. You have a loyalty to Jesus Christ. But you also have this other loyalty caused by worldly standards. And typically this is caused by one of the absolute things that can rob you of your happiness. Which is comparing yourself with others. The moment you start comparing yourself with others, you judge your life by how, am I like this person? Am I doing This well, am I, you know, where am I at? You start doing that, you will never be happy, first of all. And second of all, you have taken loyalty away from Jesus Christ and give it to something else. You have a divided heart. And that stuff, that comparison, that always thinking about, how do other people think of me? Always comparing, am I, all that stuff, by living that kind of life. You're basically saying that your loyalty to, is, is more to how people view you than it is to the God who created you. And you've got to watch that. I know we all do it to a degree. I get that. I even, when I listen to sermons, I sit there and go, ah, he preached that better than I did. Which is a weird sin, isn't it? Be jealous of somebody else's preaching? It's a weird gig, guys. But it happens. But you have to watch it. It cannot overtake that loyalty to Jesus Christ. The fourth one is the one where I want to be, where I hope you want to be, which is a good heart that produces for the Lord 30-fold, 60-fold, 100 this is a person with a devoted heart who defines himself or herself by Jesus Christ and his cross and his kingdom that's how you define yourself that is your ultimate loyalty that is what you spend most of your time thinking about that is the focal point of your life and if it's not what do you do There's a reason why Jesus uses this whole thing of soil to talk about this parable. What can, now i i just be honest with you, I I don't do a lot of work with soil. I was not meant to be a farmer. I'm not even a morning person. I don't do a lot with that. The only thing I've ever done uh, with that kind of stuff is help my wife kill plants. That's it. And we've killed all of them. Including cactus. That takes talent right there. That's right. But here's what I do know about soil. Soil doesn't fix itself. You know, you can sit there and yell at the soil all you want. It's not going to fix itself. It needs a gardener. You cannot turn yourself... Just by working really hard, you cannot push yourself from soil number one to soil number four. That is the work of the Spirit of God. That is the work of Jesus Christ. You have to go to Jesus Christ in prayer and in study and in worship. You have to go to Him in order to change. He has to fix it for you. And it takes time and it's painful. It just is. It just is. And when you're studying, when you're reading through your Bible, which I hope you're doing, when you're doing that, in order for you to have eyes that see and ears to hear, you have to think about how you think, you know, it's very important. There's this component in leadership study called emotional intelligence. And part of emotional intelligence is being able to see yourself as you really are. The good parts, the bad parts, all of it. Do you see yourself as you really are or are you deluding yourself a little bit? Are you twisting it. And and the thing is, typically, it doesn't matter how much, I don't care how much you meditate or whatever, typically, you're still going to have blind spots. It takes the help uh, help of others so you can know. I remember once I was meeting with a leadership coach in Dayton, and uh, we had met a couple times, and he told me, he said, you have to be very careful, Matt, in leadership, I said, yeah, 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 sure. He said, no. He said, you need to be very careful. I said, why? He said, you think out loud a lot. I said, so? I don't say everything that goes through my head. That's dad's job. I and he said, but here's the problem. Okay, so you, you, you like to do things like, hey, what if we did this? You know, like in staff meetings, I say, what if we did this, or what if we did that, or, or something like that, or, or just throw a proposal out there to some people I know. What about, you ever thought about doing this, or something like that? He said, the problem is, he said, they don't know you well enough to know you're just thinking out loud and looking for, you know, some conversation, and maybe this will happen, maybe this won't. They think you're making a proposal. And then if you don't follow through, they think you're a liar, I say it was a blind spot for me. I didn't see that. So I have to catch myself every once in a while and roll it back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just talking. I'm not, I haven't put down anything concrete. I'm not putting money on the table. I'm just talking. And I have to do that. That was a blind spot for me. You have blind spots. It's gonna help, you've got to have people close enough to you who can be brutally honest with you without being a jerk and let you know where you're at. Because those blind spots are not just about your success in life. It's also about your spiritual growth. You've got to think about how you think. So let's say that this week you read Mark 4, 1 through 34 in preparation for this sermon. Most of you didn't, but maybe some of you did and you read through these parables, did you ever stop to think, which one am I? Or did you just read it? Oh, okay, Jesus said this, okay, next, put it out of your mind. What are you not doing? I had a professor in seminary, Randy Harris, he was a weird dude. He was the only Church of Christ monk I've ever met committed to being celibate, and I also used to tell him he's the only guy I ever met that could wear all black and not match. And, but Randy, as one of my professors, used to tell me, he said, when you study the Bible, the most important question you have to ask is, what does this passage require me to change? Where are you in the story? That's what you have to ask yourself. That's the way it is. And if you start to do that, and you really see yourself as you are, and you get that, And you understand how holy God is. You understand how sinful you are. You understand where you have blind spots. You understand what your temptations are. And you go to God in prayer with all of that. And you study and you ask, where am I in this? What does this say to me? Not to my neighbor, not the guy down the street, to me. And you start to study it that way. And you come in and worship. Then the Spirit of God comes along and takes you from being one soil to another. And gets you to the point where you're carrying that lamp with the message of Jesus Christ everywhere. And then, for some reason, you never know. And in fact, you won't know. The way the Spirit of God works, you may bring people to Jesus Christ or have an impact or do something that ends up leading them to something else that leads them to something else that leads them to Jesus Christ that you won't know. And you won't know till you get to heaven. The, the way the Spirit works is just mysterious. It's just the way it is. I remember once when I was preaching down at Revolution, and I was preaching my heart, and I preached to the point where I was losing my voice. And afterwards, a guy comes forward, and he's crying. And says he wants to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants to be baptized. I'm like, yes! I said, when did you decide that? Uh, In the second song? Song? You don't know. You never know how it works, but you'll want to do it if you're that fourth soil. If you have the right heart, you will just want to do it regardless of what you see immediately. And I have to clear one thing else up, and I'm going to show you a video and we'll quit. But there has been this saying kicked around the church I've heard it for the last 20 years. And it drives me crazy. They say that Frank Francis of Assisi, Saint Francis of Assisi said, "Spread the gospel everywhere and if necessary use words." Okay, there's two problems with that quote. One, he never said it. And number 2, it's stupid. I don't even know what that means. You just walk around smiling, singing K-Love songs? What, what, what does that mean? People are just going to either think you're just a really nice person or a nut. They're not going to sit there and go, I've got to know what that person has. You have to verbally share the message of Jesus Christ. You have to do it. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, which means you have to speak it. And you're not always going to get the reaction that you want. And sometimes it is frustrating. I get it. I remember when I used to travel, I spent eight years of my life on a plane every week. And I used to pray, God, whoever you sit next to me, either make them somebody who is seeking you or is really quiet. And for some reason... I am a Mormon magnet. <laughs> Not fun playing trips. But you never know. I ran across this video a couple years ago. I've told you about it once before, but I wanted to play the video. Now, the video is long. If you want to go on YouTube and watch the full thing, it's like seven minutes. Chris has put it down to about three or four minutes. And it's a little bit hard to understand at first because it's an it's a English Baptist preacher, if you can believe there is such a thing, preaching a true story that he encountered, and it's an old audio, I mean, so it, it's kind of fuzzy, and the guy's got a heavy British accent, so you really have to listen, but you'll want to listen.
1: Chris, Rowland. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, and he said, excuse me, Pastor. Can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch. He said, You've got three minutes. And this man proceeded. He said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives. And I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney. It runs from the business hub out to the rocks the colonial area. And he said, A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, Excuse me, sir. Are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously. And all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now. And thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ. And I'm a Christian and I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, A woman came to him for counseling, and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney, and just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me and I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, We got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, Do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship and I lived a reprobate life and in a crisis I really hit the wall and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life was night today in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day, as God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today.
0: He became a Christian. When he did, he devoted himself and said, I'm going to share the message of Jesus with 10 people every single day. For 40 years, he did that. For 40 years, he would go out. He had the little tract, which is just a little couple of pieces of paper. It explains what the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walk up to strangers and say, do you, if you die today, do you know you'd be saved? Do you know you'd go to heaven? Ten times a day for 40 years. By the pastor's estimation when he was done, the people that he had been an instrument in leading to Jesus Christ resulted in roughly 100,000 people being saved. 100,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ because this little old man walking up and down a street with some gospel tracts, walking up to people, and yet, till the week before he died... He didn't know he'd ever brought one person to Christ, and he brought a hundred thousand. You don't know the kind of impact you can have if you go to Christ, become that fourth soil, take that lamp and shine it, spread the message of Jesus. You have no idea what kind of impact you can have. That little old man had no idea, and you probably to this morning had no idea who he was. But I guarantee you this, he had a hero's parade in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We know it's challenging. I, I pray that myself and everyone here, when we read it, when we study it, We see where are we in this. What does it require us to change in order to be better servants, to be more faithful, in order to bring you honor and bring you glory? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, next week we will finish up chapter 4. Dad will be leading you through the stilling of the storm, the calming of the storm with Jesus there. So be reading that. It's just a few verses. You can do it. God bless you. God goes with you. Save me a seat at the restaurant. See ya.
1: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5
0: p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit
1: www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.